0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 21, and the last time the message was titled the legacy of King Hezekiah, it had its ups and downs, but his heart was for God, and uh, some amazing thing, things happened under his reign. Uh, today we're going to look at the legacies of Kings Manasseh and Ammon. Not very enjoyable seeing two wicked kings, one of them uh, reigning for 55 years, but there's a surprise ending with King Manasseh that you don't find in Second Kings, but the parallel scripture in Second Chronicles you do. So we're going to look at this in five parts. And if we can just look at an image of the list of kings. We're getting close to... So Israel at this point in time has already been overthrown by Assyria. At this point in time in the scripture, we are at Manasseh and Ammon. Looking forward to teaching on Josiah next time. But we're getting close to the end of Israel's sovereignty in the south. And the Babylonians take over. Historical fact. So we're going to check that out, and we're going to jump in in verse 1. It says, Manasseh, King Manasseh, was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, he raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, in the temple, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he made his son pass through the fire. Talk about that. "...practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah." Remember all these false gods, these different names, right? That the pagans were worshiping. "...that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, "...in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever." And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only, conditional statement, conditional promises, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. So one out of five is the spiritual... Evaluation of King Manasseh in verse two you got Manasseh who 's supposed to be a man of god he 's supposed to be a believer, but he 's turned his back on on his faith pretty much, and some of the practices that he was allowing as the king in this area of Jerusalem and Judah um, the scripture tells us the things he did that 's what that 's why God drove out the former inhabitants of the of the uh, area, the evils that they did. And it's really sad when, you know, the culture of believers emulates the evil practices of the world in any time period. So what are the things he practiced? Well, A, he rebuilt the high places in idol worship that Hezekiah destroyed. B, in verse 3, he worshiped the host of heaven. When you kind of take that apart and you look into the original language, uh, it does appear that he had some sort of astrological worship, you know, the worship of the stars. Even in the New Testament, it says not to worship angels, you know, and you see some people that practically worship angels, and if you're a Christian, you're really not supposed to do that. Uh, You're only supposed to worship God. He put C, put pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, which was really blasphemous. D, he made his sons pass through the fire, and this was a, a barbaric form of child abuse, Uh, there was a god named Molech and they made a metal image of him and you know it was just horrible they heat up this god this stupid image in in the fire and then they would sacrifice babies to this this god so um, listen there's some barbaric things that people do today that maybe it's not Molech maybe it goes by a different name Uh, but when you don't know god it's you know sky's the limit to your depravity E, he involved himself with, and Christians ask me this, well, what about the, the Long Island medium or this one or that one? I'm like, this is what this, this, is what this what it says in the scripture. You know, be careful. E, he involved himself with so saying, witchcraft, spiritists, and mediums. You know, if we're not getting our information from God, from the Holy Spirit, then we're getting it from the underworld. And God was very specific about not following these things. Remember, this is the king of Jerusalem. Frightening. Sadly, Manasseh undid the reforms of his father, King Hezekiah, and it shows that it only takes one generation for everything to go bad. Isn't that amazing? Good dad, you know, miracles, all kinds of stuff, and here he's doing these evil things. You know, Pastor Paul's going through Ecclesiastes on Wednesday, and Solomon had the same complaint. You know, I worked so hard to build this empire. Well, how do I know that my kids are not going to squander it? How do I know they're not going to lose it? What's the character of my kids going to be when they grow up? And I'm paraphrasing. So you don't know from one generation to another. Uh, in First Corinthians 5, Paul Jr. is going to cover next Wednesday, uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about purging the leaven from the church. You know, sin was uh, metaphorically looked at as leaven because it spread and spread and spread. And the Corinthian church had all types of evil practices in it. And Paul said, this is bad. We can't do this. You know, you've got to stop this. But it just goes to show how quickly evil can come back after it's seemingly been eradicated. It's the wickedness of mankind. You know, it reminds me of, (laughs) it's pool season now, I got an above ground pool, and what a pain, the chemicals, and I got to shock the pool, and kill the bacteria, and kill the algae, and if I just ignore it for a week or two, it's all coming back. That's my analogy this evening. So if you have a pool, or you go to a pool, shock the pool, kill the bacteria, kill the evil, but give it some time, and it creeps back again. You got to be on it. We got to be on it in our lives, in our nation, in our church. This is we have to fight that good fight of faith till the Lord comes back. Verse 9 it says Manasseh seduced them to do more evil. Seduced. You know, this is usually looked at as in a sexual type of connotation, but here from up above, the king was seducing the nations into the, the nation into following these wicked practices, and i 'd love to make the parallels because we can 't escape this because we see it. you know I have a, a, a new believer she 's not here right now, but she came up to me in a panic, and she <laughs> she said I, I, a brand new believer." she says, "Oh, I, I was looking at this teacher and that teacher, and she said, "And I went online and I said, "Stop <laughs> that 's the problem." going online to find spirituality is like walking into a dark forest. You don't know what you're going to get. So she kind of went through all these things and I kind of brought her down to... She goes, I almost didn't go to church today. I'm like, you've got to stop looking at this stuff. You've got to build yourself up in the Word because there's a lot of bad things out there. There's this. Actually, Dave Hunt wrote a book called The Seduction of Christianity. And he chronicles all the false teaching, all this false doctrine that's out there that people in our in our time, in our area are following seduction you know you see it on tv there's a a, the media is a a seducing force they're a propaganda machine you know i'm saying this this seduction has made its way into universities and and a lot of the institutions in our nation it really is a spiritual battle so we really have to know what we believe why we believe it and not to be seduced into these subtleties that look good on the surface but they're actually pretty quite wicked so again, people don't change. Thousands of years later, it's the same story. Verse 10, we continue. It says, And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, a lot of prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, the Lord thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight. And it provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. And again, on first glance, you know, skeptics, people who don't know the scripture said, see, I always, always knew that God was a mean God. He's not a mean God. This, The child abuse and the sexual abuse and the uh, the burning the kids alive on these false... And God was like, whoa, time out. This got to stop. So... When you really take the Bible in context, it makes a whole lot of sense. And he warned them beforehand. So two out of five is God's judgment on the southern kingdom of Judah. And again, what is God prophesying? Through his servants, the prophets. That in 586 B.C., the Babylonians would finally get in after a long siege and destroy the whole system. You know, the temple, you know, take people as captives, uh, burn, It it was just a horrible thing. But... It, what's even more horrible is God just did a great miracle and delivered Jerusalem from the hand of the Assyrians. And after King Hezekiah dies, Manasseh comes in and starts the wickedness all over again. And God's like, this isn't going to go on forever. You know, I talk about this too. You, people come to me and I, I get it. Well, look at the world. Well, how come God, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, listen, God is going to interrupt human history again in His timing. He's being long suffering, He's waiting for people to come to Him but he's not going to allow human self-rule forever. It's all all throughout the Scripture, old in the New Testament. And I'm looking forward to that because I'm sick of crookedness and crooked politician and all the stuff that we see uh, today. So we welcome the Lord to come back. Verse 11, Manasseh, King Manasseh acted more wickedly than the Amorites or the Canaanites before him. I talked about when believers uh, start doing the bad practices of the world. Well, this is even worse because... (laughs) Th- this Jeru- this king of Jerusalem was doing things worse than the Canaanites. You know, Bibles make sure we understand all this. Verse 12, God's going to do a work. And He said that your ears, the, the person's ears, both ears will tingle. In the Hebrew, the word is saulol. That's the Hebrew word. It means to tingle, to rattle, or to quiver. It's almost, and it, the description is almost like when... Um, when a, there's a loud sound and, and the, the, the tympanium vibrates and it's like a shock. So what God is saying is he's, he's speaking an ominous prophecy of doom and destruction if things don't change. So we continue, verse 13, continuing with that, uh, he speaks about the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. So again, just the metaphors and such Uh, what he's basically saying is the measuring line and the plummet were instruments of measurement, right? To make sure everything is done right and built right and measured properly. So what he was saying is, even though the southern kingdom had the temple and had the accoutrements of spirituality, he had to use the same, uh, because God is such a fair God, he had to use the same uh, criteria for wickedness that he said, okay, it's got to stop at this point. So just as the northern kingdom was wicked and the Assyrians took over, well, the southern kingdom, he also had to measure them by the northern kingdom standards that he used, and he had to judge them as well. So that's all that means. It means that God is a fair God. And I like that because, again, we're probably the most fair country in the world, but we have a lot of flaws in our nation. Money buys a lot of things. It can buy justice. It can buy politicians. Um, As you can tell, I don't have a super high opinion of, of, politicians, but uh, I'm looking forward to the day that the Lord comes back because he's a fair God. I know he's going to judge me fairly. I prefer to judge, be judged by, by him than by humans. Also in verse 13, he speaks about another metaphor of cleaning Jerusalem as one wipes a dirty dish <laughs> and then turns it upside down. We, we don't have a dishwasher in our house, so we actually take turns washing the dishes. I actually, it's a little therapeutic to me washing the dishes, you know, Dumping the food in the garbage. I get what he's saying here, but what he's saying is that his his city was so dirty, it was so filthy of w- wickedness and corruption that he had to get all the filth off of his dish. You know what I'm saying? Even turning it upside down to make sure there's not one spot left on it. Uh, and what he's speaking about is the filth of demonic idolatry, the abuse. It's also a metaphor for depopulation. In other words, when the Babylonians is amazing. Again, when we, when we start understanding the metaphors, we really get a great picture of what the Lord is saying back then. Um, we have to kind of go back to the colloquialisms, the figures of speech, and then when it's explained, we're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but the Babylonians were going to come in, and uh, not only were some of the Jerusalem uh, inhabitants killed in the battle, but many of them were also de- Uh, expatriated. I I wouldn't say deported. A better word is expatriated because they were taken from their own city forcibly and sent to Babylon. So you saw the population drop considerably in Babylon. Everything he says makes perfect sense here. Uh, Verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Besides his sin, with which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So three out of five is this political situation. We know the spiritual situation was terrible. But even the political situation under King Manasseh, he had so much blood on his hands. Now this is interesting because I'm really liking the fact that on Wednesday I'm in Second Kings, and on Sunday I'm in Isaiah, and we've had a few weeks of overlap. Because Second Kings talks about the history, Isaiah talks about the history and the spiritual condition of the people. So we're starting to see overlap, the Venn diagrams type of things. Um, but basically, according to the Jewish Talmud, the prophet Isaiah was sawn in two by his persecutors under King Manasseh. Imagine that. That's a horrible thing to, to be alive and forced, held to hell. Now, th- don't forget, there's a prophet of God. They just did not want to hear the truth. They did not want to hear what God had to say. And, and they, they kind of, Jesus does this with the, the parable of the vineyard. He picks this up in the New Testament. Fascinating. Um, and they eventually start killing the prophets as if that's going to stop God's judgment. God was merciful in sending the prophets and sending the Messiah. This is what evil does. It makes you crazy. It literally makes you insane. You actually start to fight against God. Um, you know, people come to me all the time, whether it's a professor in college or this, that, and the other thing. Family member, and they want me to talk to them, of course. But uh, I don't get mad at people. I don't have to defend God. God's much more bigger and powerful than I am. So I try to lead people to the salvation and the goodness of God. But if they're going to keep thumbing their nose at Him and fighting against them, eventually they're going to deal with them. And I can just say I did my best. So this is what's going on. They kill poor Isaiah, great prophet, 66 chapters. Um, it's actually picked up in the New Testament. Hebrews 11:37, speaking about all the martyrs that were killed, and a lot of the martyrs were killed by their own people, sadly enough. So in 11:37 it speaks about, specifically, the martyr doesn't say his name, that was sawn in two. It um, had to be a horrible death. Verse 17, we continue. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did, the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place. So for the death of Manasseh, four out of five. This is the coolest thing. Uh, whenever I go into Kings or Chronicles, I go into the other parallel books. So I'm in Kings. Kings is very, you know, just the facts, the history. But if you go into Second Chronicles, you get more of the spiritual end of what's going on. I'm not going to read it, but 2 Chronicles 33, you can read it on your own, 11 through 19. You might miss it in 2 Kings. That's why it's always good when you do a Bible study to bring all the other scriptures together so you can get the full picture. So yes, he was wicked. Yes, for maybe 54 years of his life, he committed wickedness. But something happens. 2 Chronicles 33, 11 through 19, it says that Manasseh was captured by the Assyrians. They were in power. And they bring him to, I guess at the time was sort of like their second capital. They send him instead of uh, to uh, Nineveh, they send him to Babylon, right? Details, details, details. He was abused by his captors, no Geneva Convention. He was afflicted while in captivity. He repents. He's alone, he's abused, he's bleeding, he's suffering. And he starts to think about his life and thinks, gee, I wonder, and I don't know. I guess it was just, is God trying to show me something, Am I being disciplined. Now, some people to their very death curse God. But Manasseh repented, and God forgave him. Pretty, pretty impressive stuff when you read it. When I read it, I was like, whoa. He was eventually released from captivity, sent back to Jerusalem. And this is really important. He tried to undo the evil that he did all the years up to that point. That's real change. That's real repentance. That's fruits of repentance. He goes back home and he, and he goes, he's a changed man. And he goes, oh my goodness. He probably walks past the high places. I built that. He, he goes to the temple. Oh, I put it. I put a, an idol in there. So here he goes. He tries to knock all these things down and he tries to, to fix things. And that's beautiful. Um, I came up with an expression that if there's no observable change, then there's probably no spiritual change. It's a no-brainer. You know and listen, when we become Christians, we have a desire to please the Lord right away we don 't do anything really because we 're still finding our way, but a year goes by, five years go by, there should be an observable difference in our life so i 'll repeat that again if there 's no observable physical change, then there 's probably no spiritual change because repentance means change right um, i don 't want to take too much because paul is paul jr 's back there, and he 's going to cover this. 1 Corinthians 5 next Sunday, but uh, in church discipline, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5, right? The Apostle Paul says, and this is a horrible situation, very wicked thing spreading in the church, and this one person was at the at the head of all this, and if you've been to a lot of churches, you probably run into a person like this, which should have been booted, uh, but some are, are allowed to stay. He says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's fascinating. And I'm not going to go into detail, but you want to be rotten and, and you want to flaunt your sin? Don't do it in the church. Go, go into the world. Have at it. Go back into the dumpster. And uh, what happens is Satan has his, his way with people like that. And like Manasseh, at some point they they think about their life and then they kind of say, well, do I really want to be doing this? You know, I remember when I was with the Lord. and So it's it's a fascinating thing to see this happen. Um, sometimes God has to break a person in order to save a person. I'll say that again. Sometimes God has to break a person in order to save a person. Jesus says, basically, we can come to him one of two ways. We can be broken. We can fall on the rock and then he can mend us and, and pick us back up. Or at the end in judgment, we can rebel the whole way, and we could be ground to powder. <sighs> Fine dust, like chaff. It's a choice that we all make. Verse 19 through 26, last few verses. It says, Ammon, so this is the son of Manasseh. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned only two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the, the daughter of Haruz of Jotbah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked and he served the idols that his father had served and worshiped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Now, he's 24 at this point, young guy. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. A lot of bloodshed here. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now, the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah. Then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. And I'm very excited to get into King Josiah. But um, loved him so much as a Bible character, I named my son after him. <laughs> so, uh, five out of five is the short-lived rise and fall of King Ammon. Now, Second Chronicles 33, again, verse 23 Tells us that Ammon did not repent as his father Manasseh had said, right? And the government officials or his servants kill Ammon, and this, they go through a whole possible reasons why. Maybe he was that wicked that they couldn't even deal with it. Uh, some believe that there was shifting loyalties at that time in, in Judah. Some people were looking to the Egyptians for help. Some to the Assyrians. Some to the Babylonians to the to the east. Um, but there was so much evil in that land that started to emulate the northern kingdom that now assassinations were common. And then the assassinators were assassinated. Everybody's killing everybody. I mean, you know, Most of us, it's hard to fathom, most of us have not killed one person. Uh, and here, just people getting whacked left and right, so to speak. Um, but the people, to use a, a modern terminology, then the people rise up and they kill the officials uh, that killed Ammon. You know, again, there's speculation, so I don't want to get too deep into this, but is it possible that the ones that killed the ones that killed Ammon, maybe they actually liked, you know, the wickedness of Manasseh when he was a bad guy, and they also liked the wickedness of his son Ammon, and they welcomed his son's evil, you know? A few takeaways from this, right? A few takeaways. Number one, Manasseh grew up in a godly home. Right? His father was King Hezekiah. He saw his father, uh, well, supposedly Manasseh was born mostly in the 15 good years that Hezekiah had. But he was old enough, at least he heard the stories. His dad was going to die at 39 and God gave him an extra 15 years. So he saw a miracle. He also knew that the Assyrians were pretty much going to destroy and level Jerusalem to the ground And God did also a miracle in the city for his father and also for the city. So he knows this. But he becomes a prodigal. Right? Um, Manasseh repents after his trials or after the trial and he comes back to the Lord. Um, And and I love that. I love hearing stories about people just coming back to the Lord. Prodigal's coming home. It's beautiful. Sadly, though, sin does have its consequences. It has a lingering effect. Right? If you... Uh, abuse uh, drugs all your life and then you come to the Lord that is awesome but your body can can your liver your parts of your body can you could have you could be sick from what you did in the past but you know why you're going to heaven Uh, people who are very promiscuous sexually um, and they come to faith in Christ you're going to heaven you know you don't have to walk in shame but you might have left a trail of, of issues in your life that now you're dealing with. So sin does have its consequences. It has a lingering effect. Um, and it had a lingering effect on the land. Uh, the, the nation preferred the old Manasseh. And they preferred his son. i got to be honest with you, when I became a Christian, <laughs> a lot of people wanted the old, the old Joe to come back. But I'm like, no, no, I don't do that stuff anymore. Um, and it's interesting because I remember uh, friends just left me, you know, what, what is the definition of a friend, right? They stick close to you regardless if you have different beliefs or you go in a different direction, but apparently these weren't true friends. Um, the old Joe didn't come back, so they, they gave me the boot. Uh, so, <laughs> the, uh, another thing is, I got into a Facebook really good discussion uh, today or yesterday about this whole subject, and there's a guy who's a pretty much a new believer, and he starts posting on Facebook, and he had these questions. And we we kind of debated this. I mean, we were in agreement. It's kind of cool. It's a mystery how a good dad or good parents could produce a bad kid, or really rotten parents could produce a good kid. Now I I find solace in that. And what I come to the conclusion is we all get a chance at salvation. You know, if you came from a, a family that was an organized crime, you know what I'm saying or something horrible, or they were uh, Satan worshipers. You're not doomed to their fate. You call out to God, and you you change, and you move in his direction. Well, they're going to face God at some day, but you're, you're free. You're going to heaven. They keep saying that. You're going to heaven tonight. Um, continuing on, last point is, some ask, well, why did King Manasseh reign and do evil for so many decades? Well, maybe it was a twofold answer. Now, check this out. There's a, a, a maxim, if you will, in the Scripture that uh, if you keep pushing against God and rebelling against God, God will give you over to your own sinful desires. The nation was wicked, so God probably just he let go. And they had 55 years of a, a horrific king. But in the end, he comes to salvation. And that might be the second prong of that, is that God knew that Manasseh would eventually get saved. Uh, So he gave him that time, and then he did repent, and he did try to undo a lot of the evil he did in the beginning. Pretty neat stuff. So I guess uh, going into, in conclusion, is that God allows U-turns for everyone. And every once in a while, and I don't say this in a joking way, every once in a while somebody comes up to me, and they tell me all the things they did or what they're involved with, and they're outside of salvation, and I proceed to tell them that they're wrong and why they're wrong. Um, you know, some, it is very interesting. I have these discussions with people who just won't step foot in the church. They're afraid to defile the church. They're afraid the lightning bolt will come down. But, and, and I hear this a lot. But you just, you, God wants your heart. You repent, you change. Let God deal with the sins. Jesus went to the cross for that. That's been paid for you now walk in freedom. You walk in eternal life. These are the things that Jesus promised us. So next time, we're going to go into the life of King Josiah, a little bit more of an upbeat message, and uh, let's pray.
0: You've been listening to... Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.